Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, U.S. Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan, who is considerably richer than the last time you heard his voice. John, would you care to regale the listeners with tales of what happened down the stretch of your annual golf pool? Uh, well, Eric, I think the lead here really is that for those who merely tolerate my golf picks and rambles, this is the last one you're going to hear for the rest of 2019, okay? <laughs> uh, except probably a one-off in December for the President's Cup that's being played in Australia. But uh, that's really something to celebrate. So uh, with that being said, now I feel less guilty about explaining what happened. So, um, yeah, in the golf pool, uh, our format is 30 straight weeks, four picks a week of players, uh, which sounds easy, except each of the 13 of us can only pick a player four times all year. Okay. So with the new format this year, the number one player starts the tour championship at 10 under par. 26th to 30th ranked players start at even par. You know, if you run out of a top player early, that leaves you vulnerable to a final week beating, right? So, And like the four majors, the finale is worth double prize money here. So it's kind of a diabolical setup. Um, I climbed steadily all season, reached third and then second in the first two rounds of the playoff. And I had Justin Thomas as the leader at minus 10. I had Patrick Cantley, the second guy, at minus 8. The leader was out of them, so that looked good for me. Um, but it was really a decision I made in July that sealed it. Um, I concluded that nearly everyone would use a final Rory McIlroy for the British Open. It was taking place as native Northern Ireland, the sentimental story and all that. And uh, sometimes you got to zig where others were zag. So I could have chosen any of the top for eight for the finale, but um, I picked the fifth seed, Rory, at only minus 5 over fourth seed Patrick, Captain America Reed, and some others, and um, the hunch kind of paid off, and uh, uh, Rory came through like a champ. You know, they say that when mortals devise a plan, God laughs, but I'm thinking he didn't laugh this time, but I guess <laughs> that's not really true. He didn't laugh at me this right. time. <laughs> <laughs> Your competitors were perhaps even more mortal than you were? Uh, well, it seems that way. Well, somebody had to win. <laughs> right. Um, so uh, you, you didn't talk uh, go- dollar figures there, and I won't, uh, you know, you sort of told me privately. I'll just say that it's it's not an insignificant amount of money. And, and most gamblers, after a big win like this, might step up their average sports bet size. I know you're a $2 guy. Any chance of going <laughs> up to the 5 or $10 range, uh, or, or are you sticking at 2 bucks? Yeah, like the Sunday night, I recklessly went to three bucks on the Dodgers over the Yankees, <laughs> and I lost that one. So I was sufficiently chastened that I, uh, I'm going back into my shell. I think. <laughs> okay. <laughs> wow, three dollars was just pushing it a little too too hard. It says so much about you, John. Uh, well, thank you to everyone for joining us for episode number fifty-four of Gamble On. We hope you made it through my vacation week and a week without Gamble On, without suffering a complete emotional breakdown. If you missed any of our previous fifty-three episodes, they're all available on SoundCloud and on iTunes and the Apple Podcast app. Please rate, review, and subscribe. And Eric, coming up a little later on the show, we'll be joined by Dr. David J. Chow, known to many in the sports gambling community as the Pro Football Doc on Twitter. Uh, Dr. Chow has made a name for himself uh, with his instant injury analysis on social media. As the NFL season closes in, too, we'll, we'll be talking to him about Andrew Luck's retirement, the usefulness of his tweets for in-game betting, and, and so much more. But first, it's been a busy couple of news weeks in the world of gambling since our last podcast, as you mentioned. So let's get to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. He 
because we have two weeks worth of news to cover, we're going to do five stories this week instead of the usual three, but we'll do them somewhat rapid fire, trying to cover them in about two minutes apiece. And we start in West Virginia, where online sports betting is back after a failed effort with two minor sites from last December until this March. Now the big boys have arrived. FanDuel and DraftKings are both up and running. FanDuel launched two days ahead of DraftKings and is now in three states to DraftKings' two states. This is going to be a theme in this week's news segment, but John, would you say the timing is not coincidental with these sites launching just as football season begins? Well, I mean, to me, it's funny because it seems like there are as many states that are talking about January launches, which is bizarre as September. You know, uh, my brother-in-law is a construction worker. He once told me during the Atlantic City casino building boom in the 90s uh, or even early 2000s when Borgata was opening up and everybody else had to kind of keep up with the Joneses. Um, you know, the overtime was there for the taking is the casinos figured out they could make so much more money per week in the summer that it was more than worth it to pay the OT to get a Memorial Day remodeling open, for instance. So hmm. um, you would think that these states uh, lawmakers would have a similar urgency, but uh, they haven't had it. But, you know, FanDuel and DraftKings get it, obviously. Uh, so since the lawmakers weren't gumming up the works uh, in West Virginia, <laughs> here it comes. <laughs> right. And obviously, West Virginia is not a huge market. I don't think it'll become the focus of the FanDuel versus DraftKings battle by any means. Uh, but every little bit counts to them. Um, More significantly, I wonder if FanDuel and DraftKings launching there means nobody else has a chance in West Virginia. I I feel like any smaller names are are getting squeezed out and that for the foreseeable future, West Virginia figures to be a two-horse race in online gaming. Uh, yeah, I mean, I would think so, because like you say, the market, I mean, it would have been nice for them to have uh, to beat out Pennsylvania last year for the whole season, but um, they didn't do it. So, uh, yeah, I think I agree with you that a mid-level market, if those two are going to get in there, um, makes it really difficult. Uh, in a huge market, everybody has a chance to, to make some money. Right. Well, speaking of uh, one of those bigger markets that can handle more than just a couple of sites, our next story uh, takes us to New Jersey, the only other state where both FanDuel and DraftKings are active. Uh, And in New Jersey, two notable betting apps launched this week, bringing the state's total to 16. Uh, The newbies are The Score, which is the first media company to run its own betting site, and Bet365, which is the largest operator in Europe and therefore is viewed as a potential challenger to FanDuel and DraftKings' dominance. John, do you think that about a year from now we'll be talking about a big three with Bet365 competing for the top spot? And... Are we reaching a tipping point at 16 sites where it's possible some sites will fail to find a customer base and decide to close up shop? Well, you know, I, I enjoyed your article on uh, what uh, usbets.com or was it NJOnGambling.com? It was NJOnlineGambling.com. Yeah, uh, what what Bet365 brings to the table. Uh, and I know the score has a loyal core of bettors, I think, in the millions uh, who love their platform for keeping track of all their bets. So um, I think the bottom line is both of those are formidable. And I think anyone else who wants to join the party now will have to bring a lot to the table. I'm not sure that any of the current sites will shutter, but I think it's more of a matter of the big boys scaring away potential mid-sized competitors now, really. Um, the maximum in New Jersey is roughly 42 uh, skins, but right. state regulars have always told me that you know, before this began that you know the maximum will never be reached, obviously, and the number could go into the 20s maybe, but I'm starting to wonder if we get there. I think uh, we're pretty close to maturity in New Jersey. Yeah, seems that way. And yeah, writing that piece about Bet365, I, I learned a fair bit about them, you know, having never covered the European industry. I didn't know much and didn't realize what a what a dominant force they are. Uh, I don't think they have much brand recognition in the States yet, though. So it, it'll be really interesting to see how successful they can be here. From the experts that I talked to for the article, 
everyone seemed to agree that Bet365 will be thinking long term and not worried about making a short term splash. So, uh, um, you know, this might be something where it's even three or four years from now that we're talking about a big three, uh, perhaps, and, and not something that happens within the next year or so. Yeah, I mean, they can afford to be aggressive, uh, certainly, and that's really interesting about whether they'll do that. Right. Like you say, they've been around forever. They know what they're doing. They're the biggest company in the world on this front, and uh, New Jersey is a fascinating market, and challenging FanDuel and DraftKings is a challenge, as we uh, noted. So it'll be interesting to see if they are really aggressive in their first year, or as you say, maybe they, they can afford to wait a few years and just uh, slowly, uh, steadily, like organically grow the, their share. Right. All right, so our third story is yet another sports betting launch story. Uh, This one mostly concerns land-based books, uh, as all over the country, new sports betting states are getting their acts together in time for football season. You noted that some of them are waiting till January, but there are a few uh, getting it done in time for September. Uh, Iowa's first sports books opened two weeks ago, and they're a state that launched both brick-and-mortar and mobile at the same time. This Tuesday, Ed Tutal Jones was the guest of honor as Oregon's first sports book at Chinook Winds Casino, had a ribbon cutting. And Indiana is about to join the party as well, with three casinos poised to open sports books this Sunday and two more right on their heels next week. Uh, and online betting is coming to Indiana in probably a month or two. Uh, I don't know about you, John, but I've reached the point where there are just enough states with sports betting that I can't remember off the top of my head anymore which states have sports betting. Well, you know, Eric, I do remember Ed Tutal Jones for the Cowboys. Um, I don't remember him being uh, you know, Oregon's uh, first uh, favorite son or what have you. <laughs> I, I'm mystified by that one. But uh, you would think that Oregon could do a little bit better. I mean, I guess Bill Walton wasn't available, but uh, uh, who knows? Um, Oregon is mostly famous for matching New Jersey and being the only states where you don't have to pump your own gas. But uh, I guess there was no way to really represent that in the uh, <laughs> in choosing the guest of honor for their first sports book. But, <laughs> uh, but to your main point, um, yeah, I think we each got to probably eight. Uh, states pretty comfortably where I suspect we both had the the states in the order of entry memorized and then right. now it's starting to be a blur it's like it's 1990s casino openings all over again you know yeah I mean resorts opened in Atlantic City in 1978 and the rest of the country pretty much gave New Jersey a free decade along with Nevada before coming aboard um, they're a lot quicker on the draw of these states this time with sports betting uh, I guess because lawmakers in every state uh, have pretty much decided they like this gambling thing. So now when, uh, you know, the casino issue was, do we want to legalize gambling? And that was, took them a while. But now that they already have it, sports betting has been a lot easier to, to jump right in with. Yeah. Now, did you see the, that video that made its way around social media of the sports book at Chinook Winds in Oregon? Did you get a look no, at that? No, I missed that one. No. Um I don't want to be ageist, um, but uh-uh. it looked like a poorly marketed bingo night. Uh, <laughs> older crowd and uh, not a lot of people. Uh, apparently, uh, Too Tall Jones just uh, doesn't resonate with millennials. Yeah, I don't think so. He's going back a ways, I got to admit. I, I, I actually remember him playing, but uh, it sounds like all the uh, the guests there did as well. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Um, for our next story, we move away from the sportsbook openings and over to the legal realm. Uh, nothing surprising here, but in the ongoing saga of the DOJ versus the New Hampshire lottery concerning interpretation and implementation of the Wire Act of 1961, the DOJ has declared its intention to appeal a judge's June ruling determining that the Wire Act only applies to sports gambling. So the DOJ isn't rolling over but they might just be going through the motions at this point. What's your interpretation, John? 
Yeah, I mean, Eric, I'm waiting on the substance of the appeal. We haven't seen it yet. Um, you know, their bid in the DOJ bid really in round one was kind of like a lame. Oh, New Hampshire lottery doesn't have standing to sue, like a dark toss, and uh, it didn't work. Uh, the Sheldon Allison back wing of the lawsuit wanted to have the Wire Act pretty much wiping out all sorts of internet gambling. Uh, that's right. his sort of uh, his show pony, his pet peeve. Um, the judge didn't buy on either argument, but you know, Adelson, his groups were not granted intervener status. As for instance, the Jersey Thoroughbred Horsemen scored that in the epic sports betting case in Jersey for you know seven years, they were in on it. And they could make their own case as well as uh, everybody else. But um, I think Adelson's going to be awfully sore if the court appeals all they face is a standing issue, which is even more easily swatted away. And uh, if that's what happens, and, and it might, because DOJ, you're right, has only had sort of uh, one foot in this uh, issue. Um, he's going to be disappointed and, and this thing may just go away. Yeah, and I wonder, like, it, it seems to me like the DOJ isn't necessarily expecting or, or even trying very hard to win. It's like that, that uh, you know, this declaration of intention to appeal, they're, they're just keeping their options open and maybe even stalling, waiting to see how much longer Adelson is alive and pushing this thing. Because uh, I think w- once he goes, uh, this, this thing probably goes away as well. Um, but... Yeah, they pretty much waited till the last minute and, uh, and and did the bare minimum, it seems, to keep it from expiring. So as someone who uh, is hoping that cur- the previous interpretation of, of the Wire Act pretty well holds up, my concern level is, is rather low right now. I, I just think, I mean, attacking state lotteries is like the third rail <laughs> <Yeah>. of gambling. <laughs> I mean, everyone either plays lotteries and... I call it a tax on people who are bad at math. Right. But uh, if they don't play it themselves, then they have relatives who do. And nobody really hates the lottery. They may not play it, but they know somebody who plays it and somebody who won money once. And it's all – it seems very harmless to the average person. Even people who really don't like gambling in general, maybe they don't like casinos. They certainly may not like sports betting or mobile sports betting. But lottery has seemed kind of benign to people, even though the margins are horrendous as we know. But uh, right. uh, So I, I think – I don't know what DOJ stepped in, but they stepped in something and they seem to be trying to step out of it. (laughs) Right. All right. Last news item this week, uh, an American Gaming Association report noted that since the fall of PASPA, the U.S. legal sports betting industry has passed the $10 billion mark in handle. That includes $5.3 billion in Nevada and $3.5 billion in New Jersey. So uh, that's about 88% of the total just between those two states. Um, So it took about 14 months to cross $10 billion. John, if I set a line that the next $10 billion will have been wagered by the time the NFL playoffs start, are you going over or under? Hmm, that's a good one again. Um, well, Nevada clearly has not been hurt by competition, um, right. as some people wondered about. And New Jersey is going to continue to grow. We know that. Um, I want to say over, but particularly New York State still not having mobile sports betting this year, and they will not have it at all this year. They don't have it uh, Aqueduct either at Yorkers Raceway. So there's you know there's a lot of big sites and and potential that New York State is screwing up. So. That leads me slightly to the under. Um, I'd probably have to look closely at how many states exactly have mobile ready right now, those populations, and how many skins they each have. Right. Okay. So, uh, in other words, you, you need to you need to dive a little deeper before uh, cranking out your your final numbers on this. I think so. I like your line <laughs> as usual. Though. Okay. Well, it's it's interesting. Just a side of sort of a side note here. How 
Nevada versus New Jersey every month has, has started to really become a thing. Um, and so th- those are the clear top two and, and should remain so for a little while. Maybe by sometime in 2020, Pennsylvania is right there with them. Um, but, you know, that, that $10 billion number hitting that, that's significant, of course. And uh, I think we would certainly agree the next $10 billion should come much quicker, whether or not it happens by January. Um, as with all things, We'll know a lot more after this September, you know, the first full month of football, first month of sports betting in a few new states. When we get some of those numbers in October should be fascinating. Yeah, I mean, Pennsylvania is so interesting to me because obviously the Philly, first of all, Philadelphia, of course, is much bigger than any city in New Jersey. And I think the gambling appetite there is as high as it is in the entire state of New Jersey. That's really impressive. Uh, The rest of the state, I mean, we do have some Amish and the Mennonites and others who are (laughs) probably not. as. So, I mean, I think the the heartland of Pennsylvania, I don't know how much they're going to gamble. Whereas all of New Jersey (laughs) from from head to toe uh, is a pretty gambling centric state. So, I mean, Pennsylvania is big enough that I think they'll pass New Jersey eventually, but I'm not sure if they will pass them by a lot, just because, like I said, they have a a wide swath of their population that I'm not uh, convinced is ever going to get that into gambling compared to New Jerseyans. That's that's an interesting point. You know, when people talk about the population of Pennsylvania, they never factor in that that the Amish are are not going to be gambling on their smartphones. Not chance. (laughs) (laughs) It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview. You may or may not know the name Dr. David J. Chow, but if you're involved in sports betting or fantasy sports and I tell you his Twitter handle, at ProFootballDoc, you will definitely know who I'm talking about. Dr. Chow is an orthopedic surgeon in San Diego and is the former San Diego Chargers team doctor. And by providing real-time injury information on Twitter, watching a play and making an expert assessment of what he thinks the injury is and how severe it is, he's quickly amassed 138,000 followers. He writes and podcasts about sports and injuries as well. And in this era of expanding legalized sports betting, his insights are more valuable than ever. And we're very happy to have him on the podcast this week. David, welcome to Gamble On. Thanks for having me. So I had a private conversation with you a couple months ago where you told me the whole, the whole pro football doc origin story. It's really quite amazing how quickly you've built your Twitter following and your reputation. If there's like a two minute or so version, can you tell the story of how you started tweeting out injury information and built this following? You know, after 17 years of being the team physician, I was on the sidelines. I was no longer on the sidelines after having boy girl twins uh, late in life. And I'm watching a game for the first time, and I'm seeing an injury on a Sunday, and I'm talking to my wife saying, you know, uh, that guy's not coming back. He blew out his knee when the announcer is saying, uh, yeah, I think he might come back. And she turned to me and said, tell it to someone who cares. Of course, in the <laughs> kindest of ways. And she signed me up for Twitter. I didn't know what Twitter was. Since then, it's sort of grown and grown. And now, as I talk to you about, now there's – you know, uh, efforts to uh, incorporate in uh, injury information as it relates to gambling now that gambling is legalized. Right. How quickly, once you started tweeting, did you notice you went from a couple hundred followers to, oh, my God, it's taken off? Well, you know, um, it never goes as fast as you think it will, but it's, it went a lot faster than you can expect. I really didn't have any plans. It was just something I played around with. You know, I looked at video when I was in the NFL with the San Diego, then San Diego Chargers. I didn't know how useful it would be to kind of reverse engineer these injuries. But, you know, in the first 
few days, the first Sunday, first week, there were some players that retweeted it that were wow. friends of mine. And uh, quite honestly, uh, that first week, I got the attention of an NFL team who actually called and said, why are you doing this? <laughs> uh, I won't say who, but in, in any case, um, you know, it was something that clearly I'm not making diagnosis. I'm not treating. It's all from publicly available information. So it's completely legal. Um, and it started as something kind of fun. And now it's continued to, uh, to grow and grow. You know, as you know, I do stuff for Sirius XM and the sports medical analyst. I write for the Union Tribune, LA times, uh, doing stuff with uh, Fox and Clay Travis, uh, uh, you know, all sorts of different things. Yeah, Doctor, uh, obviously Andrew Luck's uh, retirement is the talk of the football world in the past week. Um, uh, There's a long list of pretty specific injuries that he has suffered, and I'm kind of curious, uh, and this may be the same one, I'm not sure, but is there one of these that, you know, based on the information that you do have, would probably be the most painful, and is there uh, another one or maybe the same that would be kind of the most dangerous and the, the biggest reason that he might have been smart, smart to retire? Well, I mean, uh, you know, first thing I have to say is, uh, you know, I wish Andrew the best, but uh, he's kind of costing me my Super Bowl pick for fun. <laughs> uh, I, I had, you know, uh, I don't have a rooting interest per se, but just looking at it objectively, why I was very high on the Colts. They made the playoffs last year. They're a young rising team, and they return all 22 starters, or they did, 11 starters on both sides of the ball. I mean, so first of all, it's very unusual to return all 22 starters. And uh, they had that. And they seemed to be on a trajectory up. So I was really high on them. But now, who who knows, right? Uh, As far as, you know, your question about retirement, boy, you know, if you want to be as safe as possible, you absolutely should retire. And you shouldn't play the game of football. I tell everyone, you know, playing football is like riding a motorcycle. It's more dangerous than driving in a car. Uh, I tell parents that for kids and athletes. I've told many a time, uh, let's say on a typical knee issue, I'll say, what, what's the best, you know, doc, what's the best thing to do for my knee? You want to know the best thing? Like, yeah. I said, lose a hundred pounds and quit playing football. <laughs> like, no, no, no. You know what I mean? You know, the best thing for me to do and play football. Okay. Well then that's where it is. So, you know, from a health perspective, Football is not a contact sport. It is a collision sport, right? And so there's that. Now, with that being said, I don't know what Andrew Luck's absolute ankle injury is, or, you know, it doesn't seem like the Colts have told us either. It obviously has morphed over five plus months. I actually don't see that as an injury that he could not play through. Certainly, you've seen him in pregame warm-up after, before the second game, where he looked pretty good, where they said, well, maybe he still can't roll out and do everything. He's going to be in some pain. If you read my article through my Twitter timeline, it's up there, or, or Google Pro Football Doc and Andrew Luck, you'll see my explanation of it. I am not calling Andrew Luck soft. Here's what I'm saying. He kind of told us, that this was possible. Not that I predicted it. I did not predict it. But he's being true to his word. So what did he say and what happened? First of all, I said, look, this is an injury that has been morphing over five months. Whether calf, high ankle-ish, bone this, that, the other, the Colts were still getting new opinions right up until the last week or so. 
but something that's lingered for five months isn't going to get better in another couple of weeks with rest and altered rehab. So I was saying if he was going to play week one, he was going to have to play through pain. And quite honestly, if he sat out week one, that probably is going to extend to week two, three, four, who knows. Now, the other side of the equation is what has Andrew Luck told us? He has said, and I'm paraphrasing, I don't have all the quotes in front of me, um, the shoulder took a lot out of me, I learned a lot about the shoulder, I learned to listen to my body, I'm not going to push through, you can't rush the process, there's no substitute for doing the right way, the shoulder was really hard on me, and he has, quote, what? Vowed not to do that again. So if you put those two things together, what's shocking is here's a guy who told us how he felt and he actually executed it. Right. I mean, instead of, you know, a lot of times you get guys that go, yeah, I know I said that, but you know, here's the excitement of the season. I'm just going to suck it up and go. But he actually was a man of his word. I think he told us. And if you, I wish I was smart enough to have put it all together ahead of time. Right. Um, <laughs> But looking at it, you could see where he, he laid it out and followed through. Right. And as far as that bet that you made, or at least that pick that you made, I'm not sure if you actually uh, made, made the bet, but uh, I'll just note that uh, on, on the, I made the bet as well. I thought they were like among the very best odds on the board. I'm lucky that at some of these East Coast sports books, and particularly the one that I chose, they decided to do a goodwill refund. So, uh, oh, okay. so I, got, I got my money back after he retired. So I, can, I have no reason to be uh, angry at Andrew Luck. <laughs> well, I actually, I actually did not place a bet. I, okay, it was just your pick. Okay. It, it was just, you know, people ask who's your pick kind of thing. And here's the thing. You know, people ask me all the time, uh, who should I play in fantasy, this wide receiver too, or this one, or, or who do you like in this game or the over under, you know, I'm of course doing this injury analysis that can be applicable to DFS or fantasy or gambling. I actually don't do any of that. What I always say is, look, I'm an injury expert. I'm not a fantasy expert. I'm not a gambling expert. I'm not a DFS expert. I'm an injury expert. Can my information be used in fantasy DFS and gambling? Yes. Can it be beneficial? I think so. But I'm not a tout. I'm not out there. It's not my job to go make picks. It's my job to say, this is what the injury is. And this is what it looks like. And then guys like you and others can determine what to do with it. Right. Well, speaking of that, the fact that it's applicable to DFS and to sports betting, um, it seems to me that knowing whether a player is likely to return to a game when he gets hurt or is done for the season, et cetera, that that's even more useful in sports betting and particularly in-game betting uh, than, than in DFS. Is that how you see it, that what you do provides greater value to sports bettors than to DFS players? Well, probably so, um, except I think there is DFS usage as well. A friend of mine, the last game that someone ever asked me for advice was the Chargers Patriots divisional round playoff game last season. Remember Melvin Gordon was coming off a second knee injury and uh, wasn't even listed on the practice on the, on the injury report. And a friend of mine who plays DFS, he's a good friend of mine said, Hey, I'm going to play Melvin Gordon Sunday. What do you think? I said, you're trying to lose. Uh, and uh, he said, why? I said, he's not even on the injury report. I said, all that means is that he's going to play. That doesn't mean he's going to play effectively. He's coming off 
an MCL in the other knee a month ago, still has a brace on. Now he has a new MCL on the opposite knee. You can't be an NFL running back effectively with two knee braces on. Melvin Gordon had nine carries, 15 yards. Admittedly, he had a short touchdown, right? He scored a touchdown. But nine carries, 15 yards, okay? Now, of course, my my friend followed up and said, who would you take? I'm like, I haven't looked at who's playing, but the first guy I would look at is Sony Michelle. And he said, why? And I said, because the Chargers the week before against the Ravens played seven defensive backs, if you remember that. Right. And they did that largely because of injury. So it was brilliant on Anthony Lynn and Gus Bradley's part to have do that, to counteract Lamar Jackson's speed with seven DBs in the game. So my point is, if they do that again this next week, which I believe they would have to because no new linebackers got healthy. <laughs> right. Sony Michelle is a different back and is going to tear him up. And I believe he had 20-some carries for 130-some yards and three touchdowns. I mean, and the other thing is, look, it's one thing to surprise a team, but you show a Bill Belichick team a 7-DB defense for two weeks in a row. I mean, good luck. Right. And then the, the other one I gave him was a little simpler than that. I said, and believe me, I didn't play DFS. He goes, I said, or James White. He said, why James White? I said, I don't know, but who, the, the Patriots are known for taking away the best weapon on the other team. Who is the Chargers' best weapon? I would argue it's Joey Bosa, Melvin Ingram teamed up. So what do they do? Literally two-step drops, 15 swing passes to James White. <laughs> 15. <laughs> I mean, uh, so, yes, I think it can be helpful for DFS. But you're right. The bigger picture is gambling as more states legalize. And you're right. In-game gambling, tremendous, right, with the floating odds. I mean, the first game last season, uh, I said, you know, Andrew – sorry, Aaron Rodgers against the Bears, Sunday night football, down 17 nothing at half, exited on a cart. I said, I don't know that his, his – certainly his season's not over. I don't know his day is over, is what I was saying. And he, they got down 20 nothing. He – let them back, and they won 24-23. But the other thing is, don't forget, I think there's going to be more and more prop bets and in-game prop bets. Saquon Barkley, fourth quarter yards, et cetera, et cetera. So as the gambling space grows, so the funny thing, people have said to me, there's a couple of recurring comments that people have said to me on Twitter. One, early on when I started doing this, people said, you're my secret weapon for fantasy but I don't tell any of my friends. <laughs> right. And then recently I've gotten a lot of several comments. Um, you used to be my secret weapon, but too many people follow you now. So lost the edge. I don't have the edge following you. Anymore. And so this is why Eric, I was telling you about our plans for this injury subscription service, really right. to get the edge back uh, to, to people. Because right now you're right. I do say something. And then, other media repeated and it gets out there. And so then the effectiveness and the edge is blunted in terms of what's going on. 
Mm. Yeah. Uh, doctor, I want to ask you, you mentioned that uh, right away when you were uh, tweeting one NFL team that you didn't name, you know, kind of said, what are you doing? Um, you know, typically uh, doctors in the sports field, uh, their disclaimer about not having, you know, all the information is even longer than the response that they give. Um, so you're, you're, I think it's pretty obvious to the layman that you're, you're not at the game anymore. You're not the Chargers team physician or anything. So uh, I, th- I think to a layman, it's pretty obvious that you're, you have an expertise, but you, you, you don't, Actually, see the well, patient. you know what's great about this? Well, first of all, what I say is I'm trying to provide insider knowledge, not insider information. Insider knowledge can make you a lot of money in the stock market. Insider information, which can land you in jail, right? So this is insider knowledge. I'm not, and I'm not violating HIPAA or, or anything. And the other thing is if you see, follow me on Twitter or whatever, you see all the time, I make no secret about it that I'm sitting at home on my couch. Um, you know, the, the New York Times was nice enough to write an article, and, I, and they came and take, took pictures. I said, well, you know, pictures of what? Me sitting on my couch watching TV? Yeah. I said, well, I'll be wearing shorts. They're like, well, whatever you want to wear. I said, the kids will be running around and sitting in my lap. I mean, that's what it is. I, I, I'm not trying to be who I'm not. Now, this year, we're going to formalize the process a little bit. But what's funny now is when I make a claim, let's say – let's say when Kevin Durant was injured or when I called Clay Thompson's ACL, I got a lot of people who said, what are you doing? You're like, how do you, you know, this is so wrong. I don't even say anything because all my followers chime in and say, don't you know what he does? <laughs> it's timeline. You know, <laughs> this is like, you know, he's not diagnosing. They repeat all the things I used to say. So, so thank you to the followers and so forth. It's actually become a fairly comfortable space. No, that's 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 great stuff, and I know. Yeah, I know you were uh, telling me uh, about how you're the you inadvertently branched into to basketball a little bit as well. But football <laughs> is still your expect area of expertise, and well, I guess the I worked I worked with teams in the NBA, okay, but not to the extent I have some affiliation with the Bulls over time, and some affiliation with the Timberwolves. But I was not the head team position, and I didn't do it for 17 years. So right. my expertise. I've covered a lot of different sports, but football is by far and away the best expertise. So that's kind of why I primarily stated. That's why I said pro football doc, right? Right. I was just going to say it's right. Pro sports doc. Exactly. It's right there behind you, pro football doc. So uh, no, no, no sense rebranding at this point, probably. Yeah. But well, thanks so much, uh, Doctor Chow. Uh, of course, everyone can find you on Twitter at pro football doc, and uh, we're not afraid to promote other podcasts on our podcast. So uh, if anyone wants to hear more uh, of Doctor Chow, check out the weekly pro football doc podcast uh david it's it's been great speaking with you thanks so much for taking the time thank you and one of the things i'm most excited about that you know you're right is in-game betting becomes more and more applicable right now most of the followers know i do a periscope halftime injury chat at halftime of every game and the and and you could see it publicly i mean aaron Rodgers had 55 or 60,000 people watching but we're averaging between eight and ten thousand people that watch but as part of the injury subscription service, and it's starting free right now, so everyone can get it to check it out. I'm going to do a two-minute warning chat before halftime. Okay. That will become privatized. For what purpose? Obviously, halftime lines. If there's anything actionable at a halftime line, and halftime lines are everywhere right now. So uh, that's our first foray, foray into this uh, betting world or information world for, for gambling. Uh, an excellent doctor and an excellent salesman as well. <laughs> Great good. talking to you, David. Thanks again. Thank you. Thanks, Doc.
two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. We did not make any bets last week, of course, uh, but two weeks ago we made a few. Uh, and my preseason NFL winning streak came to an ugly end as I oh, bet no. under 40 points. I know. Very sad. Pour one out. Uh, I bet under 40 points in the Raiders Cardinals game and they smashed the over with 59 points. Uh, so oh, we yeah, lost. Yeah. Yeah, points bet on that, Eric, because that would have been a, a, quite a beating. You <laughs> thankfully, lose by 19 points, 19 times. Yeah. Thank, thankfully not. It was not okay. a points bet wager. Yeah. Um, but we lost $110 on that. Um, but you made almost all of it back by betting on John Rahm in the BMW Championship. Uh, you bet $100 on him at plus 125 to finish top 10, and he finished tied for fifth. So that's $125 profit, and you lost $20 picking him to win it all at long odds. So combined, we dropped... $5 on the week. Uh, so we are in the red by $108. Uh, we also have $2,420, about a quarter of our starting bankroll, uh, tied up in futures bets, some of which are going to come due soon. So let's give a quick rundown of our baseball bets. Uh, we have the Rockies over 83 and a half wins. That is a loser unless they go 25 and three the rest of the way. <laughs> Can we cross that one off, John? Yeah, I think we got it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we have Reds over 79 wins. So we're a little off pace with that one, but still in the hunt. They're currently 63 and 69. Speaking of the Reds, I took a shot on them for 20 bucks to win the Central Division midseason. That ain't happening. They're 10 back. But on the bright side with NL Central bets, you took the Cardinals a couple of weeks ago at plus 256 when they were a few games out. And they're now in first place by two games. We have my Astros Indians division parlay. And that Indians twins race has been a roller coaster. The Indians currently trail by three and a half, but they have six head to head games remaining. So that's far from decided. And, uh, Listeners will remember that I did hedge with a Twins bet, so we won't lose quite as much if the Twins do prevail. Uh, you took the Dodgers at plus 280 to win the World Series. There's a long way to go on that one. You also have the Nats at plus 250 to win the NL East. Uh, they're not quite out of it at five and a half back, but the Braves just don't seem to slump. Uh, so all in all, we're probably poised to lose money on our MLB futures, and there's a chance that it'll be a total disaster. Anything to comment on? Uh, well, I will say my Nationals pick is the kind of bet that if you lose, you can feel good about it. You know, I expected them to straighten out their bullpen, get red hot. They've done check and check, right? So that that worked out. Uh, even if I don't win, I, I'm satisfied. Um, plus, we're going to make it back by shorting the overachieving Braves in the NLDS, by the way. So. Ah, okay. Um, and I, one other thing I'd say to learn is uh, with these over-unders uh, for baseball in particular, it's different from other sports, um, we have Reds and Rockies, kind of mid-level teams, right? So if they're not doing that great, they kind of sell off some pieces and yeah. sort of give up. And um, so they make their team weaker deliberately in some cases. Uh, and then um, how hard are they trying, right? So I'm not sure I would pick a mid-level team again. I think I'd either rather have a, a perceived poor team overachieve because they're not going to, you know, uh, be, be needing much to win or a top team. They're certainly not going to give up no matter what. So I don't, I don't really like look in retrospect. I don't like the idea of taking a mid-level team that if they don't quite get where they need to be by the trade deadline are liable to sell off and, or sort of a shrug and give up. 
Yeah, that's good insight and something to think about for for next season is maybe if we are looking at mid-level teams, we look at the ones that we think might be slightly overrated and and take the under on them. Exactly. Uh, It seems to be the safer way to go. Uh, All right. With all that said, we have $7,472 to bet with this week, and you're up first, John. All right. Well, let's go to the U.S. Open tennis. Uh, I covered that at uh, in uh, Queens from 1987 and 2001. So a little nostalgia for me. Um, if you recall, I misunderestimated uh, Simona Halep at Wimbledon. Um, so I'm going to make up for it here. Uh, can we try 100 to win 138 that she wins her quarter of the draw to make it to the U.S. Open semifinals? Um, other than an unlikely throwback night for former number one uh, Caroline Wozniacki, I, I just don't see uh, her losing there. Okay. I have not at all examined her quarter of the draw, but I'll uh, take your word for it that uh, that that's a good bet. I I like it. Um, I'm going to make a cheap long shot bet with a huge potential payout. $25 on Derek Carr to lead the league in passing yards at plus 5,000 odds. So we'd win $1,250. Here's the thing about these long shot bets. You're not worried about what's the most likely scenario you're just focusing on upside sort of like if this if everything breaks right does this guy have a shot and i think there's a lot of upside here Uh, first of all the raiders should be bad and playing from behind and airing it out a lot um carr isn't the best quarterback in the nfl but he's solid he's durable uh played 15 or 16 games uh the last several seasons and he's been at or right around the 4,000 yard mark three of the last four years Their running game isn't great. Uh, Rookie Josh Jacobs might be good. Uh, Doug Martin is on the IR right now. Jalen Richard, meh. So they figure to be a passing team, even if they aren't way behind. And then here are Carr's weapons. Antonio Brown, who head case though he may be, is still an incredible receiver. Not the helmet Uh, case, I think. (laughs) There you go. He's not a head case. He's a helmet case. I like (laughs) it. Um, Tyrell Williams uh, is a big play breaker. Rookie Hunter Renfro is a really promising slot receiver possession guy. And the tight end, Darren Waller, feels like he's ready for a breakthrough. Now, maybe I'm betting with my heart a little after watching these guys on hard knocks, but there's no risk. It's 25 bucks, and I think it's much better than a 50 to 1 chance that Carr could lead the league in yards. All right. Sounds good. Uh, now let's get ready for some college football. All right. Um, I'll give the 32 and a half points with Alabama over Duke. It's a 110 to win 100 standard bet. Uh, I think an angry Alabama is the one you want, and this is angry Alabama. So, you know, Duke had a quarterback last year who uh, kind of went up on the Giants, uh, the sixth <laughs> overall pick, and he was kind of good. So um, it's always a modest risk of a backdoor cheap cover by the Blue Devils here, but I'll take my chances. Okay. Um, Now, I have one or two NFL win total over-unders in mind um, Mm. that I almost – went with this week but i think i'll save those for next week and i know you were thinking of doing the same we'll have some Absolutely. some nfl win totals coming next week so this week for my second bet i'm doing my first boxing bet in a little while uh the best boxer in the world Vasily lomachenko is in action this weekend in london taking on luke campbell i don't see any chance of an upset campbell was about a 20 to 1 dog um but campbell is durable he's tall and a little awkward as great as lomachenko is I'm not sure he knocks Campbell out, and even if he does, I don't see it happening early. Maybe mid-rounds, but I'm betting $106 to win 100 that the fight will go over eight and a half rounds. I think chances are we're getting into rounds 9, 10, 11, maybe even the full distance here. 
And that'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. And thanks again to our guest, Dr. David Chow. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud or on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. And this is the point on the show at which I usually hand it over to John to impart some words of wisdom and wrap up the podcast. But I'm going to take over those duties this week to pass along some sad news that you might have already heard. Last Monday, Las Vegas-based gambling writer Bob Mann died of a heart attack at age 68. And though I didn't know Bob personally, he was a member of our extended family at U.S. Bets as a frequent writer for our sites, mostly Sports Handle, where he worked with our colleague Brett Smiley. We strongly recommend you read Brett's tribute on Sports Handle to learn a little more about Bob Mann. And we're dedicating this episode of the podcast to Bob. So until next time, and in Bob's memory, gamble on. 